0: yourself uh, married to the, the best possible husband you can possibly find, good looking and, and, and everything else and, and if you're a man you might want to put down, you will find the best wife you could ever find, someone who will wash your socks and clean the house perfectly and um, you might put down in, in, in your life story where you will work, you don't care what job it will be as long as it pays a lot of money. And then you will add to your life all the, the lovely holidays. And, and you may think to yourself, well, maybe I might have children. A uh, bad idea, because children are nothing but trouble. And um, so you might want to rub that out completely. But you will have in your mind what you will want your life to look like. Well, when I come to um, our sermon today, I have entitled this message, Casting away the old life. Because as we look, we see Jesus speaking about his life. You see, look at my first heading here. The first heading, I put a, a, a lack of sight. You see, Jesus knew, he had a, a, a sight of what his life was going to be like in the future. In fact, in a few weeks time. And he, and he speaks about his life. Now, most people, when they um, think about their, their death, it comes as a surprise. No one plans to die. I was reading some history the other day, and, and I was looking at the great, one of the great American presidents, Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln um, was assassinated when he was in a theatre. He was um, in a box looking uh, at a play and the, the, the gunman came into the box where he was watching this play. He had an old-fashioned gun that holds one bullet, and he had a knife in the hand as well. He went up to Abraham Lincoln, and he shot him once in the head. After doing that, he jumped over the balcony, landed on the stage, shouted something, and then made it escape. Now, this man planned to kill Abraham Lincoln, but Abraham Lincoln did not know But when he woke up that morning, that was going to be his last day on earth. He didn't realize it, he didn't know, he planned for many different things, but he didn't plan for this. Not so with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ knew exactly what awaited for him in Jerusalem. And so he writes, he, he speaks to the disciples and he says, He takes the 12 aside and told them, we are going to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus knew the first thing that was going to happen to him was that he was going to be turned over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the non-Jews. These Gentiles took the form of the Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers hated the Jews. Their army, they defeated the Jewish army. And after defeating the Jewish army, they ran the whole of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And the Romans hated the Jews. And Jesus realized that when he goes to Jerusalem he's going to be handed over to a group of men who hate the Jews. Now, in our modern day, we can think back a few few years and we are are, are reminded of Hitler. And we are reminded of the concentration camps. Some of the stories that come out from the concentration camps from the Germans who hated the Jews, were awful. And Jesus knew that he was going to be handed over to a group of men who hated Jewish people. Not only that, he also knew that he was going to be mistreated. He saw it already. Look what it said. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles that will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, And abuse him. Jesus knew that that was going to happen to him. Can you imagine? If you knew that was going to happen to you, would you go to Jerusalem? Would you apply for a job knowing that this was going to happen to you? But it's exactly what Jesus did. He knew that in Jerusalem there was going to be a time where his back was going to be opened up with a whip. There would be men spitting on him and pulling his beard and beating on him. He knew that he was going to be mistreated and physically abused. He knew it. And he mentioned it. But he also mentioned and says that he was going to be killed. Murdered. He was only 33 years of age and at the prime of his life, He was going to be snuffed out. No family, no future, no inheritance, no nothing. He knew that at the prime of his life, when he goes to Jerusalem, he was going to be killed. The Bible turns around and says, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death. In the body. Amazing love that Christ was going to be put to death for you and me. And he knew that's why he was going. But only that he knew knew that, not only did he know that he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, he was going to be mistreated, he was going to be killed, but he also knew that he's going to be resurrected. Now let me just stop right here just for a moment that Jesus knew that he was going to rise from the dead and i was thinking to myself you know you know i'm i'm not a betting man i'm not a betting man but if i was a betting man i would say to myself well he was right about being handed over to the gentiles we we saw the romans taking hold of him and and, and crucifying him we know that he was right about being spat on and being whipped and being frogged, and be, he was right about that. We read it in the Gospels; it happened just as he said it would have happened. Just read it for yourself; it's right there. It's a two or three weeks before it happens, and Jesus said, "I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm telling you guys, this is what's going to happen to me." And we read that happened. And then he says, "I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be murdered." I'm going to be crucified and we read the gospel and sure enough, Jesus Christ is nailed to the cross and he's murdered. Now I'm not a betting man, but if I was, what's the likelihood that he's going to be right a fourth time? It's very, very likely, isn't it? I will put all my wealth onto the fact that I know that Christ is going to speak the truth. And the Bible says that there's an empty tomb. And Paul and Peter, when he preached, he said, "God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I'm telling you, that's a powerful verse. Death tried to keep his hold on Jesus, but he's talking about the Son of God here, and it was impossible for death to hold him, and so on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Absolutely wonderful that Jesus Christ, and he knew it was happening weeks before it even takes place. But here's the sad thing. Here's the sad thing about all of this. He's speaking to the disciples. And this is what it says at the end. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they did not know what he was talking about. These men, they've been around him for a little while. And yet, when he said that, the Bible says they didn't know, didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They were blind. They had no understanding of what Jesus was talking about that's going to happen in a few weeks' time. They had not a clue. They were blind. And you know, this morning I will say this. That kind of blindness that these guys had, we still have it today. There's many people who are blind. I'm still saying, I'm going to preach this. I'm saying there's people on the streets today who are blind You tell them about Jesus Christ. You tell them about what he did and they will walk by you without blinking an eye because they are blind to what Christ has done on the cross. But not only them, but I want to tell you something. People in the church who come Sunday by Sunday, week by week who scatter the churches all over the UK they tend the church but they are blind to the fact that what Jesus Christ has done. And I will go one step further, and I will say this. There's men who will stand in this, in this position that I am, in this pulpit, and they will preach the gospel, and they are blind themselves to what it really means. Men and women across our nation, not only in the UK, but in other countries as well, claim to believe the gospel, claim to preach the Bible, but I want to tell you, even preachers are blind to what the gospel says and what happened to happened to Jesus. So you've got the blind leading the blind, and you've got in the street men and women who are blind. In fact, we're living in a day where men and women are totally blind to what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. That is the truth of the society and the generation that you and I find ourselves in. Well, that being the case, the following account. Helps us to understand what happens. What happens the following account. So we've got the the lack of sight. What happens next? Well, look what happens next. Um, A desire for sight. We have Jesus now going to um, Jericho. And the Bible says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. We're introduced. I've just been talking about, I want to compare this blind man to the blind disciples. Because as Jesus goes to Jericho, he, he, he sees a blind man. We, this blind man is there by the roadside. And it's obvious that he's blind. His eyes are closed tight. He's, he's, he's in rags. He's, he, his hands are stretched out, wanting others to lead him. He's totally blind. And there he is. Compare him to the disciples, they had eyesight. Their eyes were wide open. Compare him to the disciples. They had no need for a stick or for a guide. But this man, by the roadside, was blind. The disciples who had eyesight, we read, didn't we? They did not understand. Its meaning was hidden from them. They did not know what he was talking about. They were the men who should have been able to see things, but they were blind. But now we come to the roadside, and there's a man who's physically blind. Let's think about him for a moment. This man who's physically blind turns around, and he hears that Jesus is coming by, and the Bible says that he he asked, and someone says to him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and when he hears it, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This man did not say, he heard Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And this man did not say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He didn't say that. He did not say, Jesus, son of Joseph, have mercy on me. He did not say that either. He didn't even say, Jesus, son of Mary, have mercy on me. No. What did he say? He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And let me tell you something right here. When he said, Jesus, son of David, he's going back into the Old Testament and he's saying, Jesus, the son of David, is the Messiah. The son of David is going to be the Christ. So when he says, Jesus, son of David, we could turn around and say, he was saying, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy on me. Jesus, the Christ, have mercy on me. Jesus, the rescuer, have mercy on me. Jesus, the saviour, have mercy on me. Jesus, the redeemer, have mercy on me. This man had a touch from God that no one else seemed to have this man had a revelation from God that no one else seemed to have and he was able to say not Jesus of Nazareth no 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 but Jesus the Messiah the one that the old testament was speaking about the one that it was written that he was going to be mocked and abused and crucified that one have mercy on me this man was physically blind God touched him. Even before his eyes was open, God touched him. Gave him an understanding and a revelation of who Jesus Christ was and is. You know what Jesus says about this? He says this, speaking in another passage about blindness. He says this. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now you claim you can see, your guilt remains. What Jesus is saying is, see that blind man? This blind man is poor. This blind man is hopeless. He's got so much guilt, but in his blindness, he's crying out for help. In his blindness, he's saying, Lord Jesus, save me, save me, save me. In his blindness, he's crying out for a savior. I don't want to be like that blind man. Oh, I got eyes. All right. I can can see us wear glasses from time to time, but you know, I can see. But I want to be like that blind man. I want to be like that man who sits on the side of the road and crying out because he had a touch from God and he knew who Jesus was. Sadly, there are too many people sitting in chairs and in pews across our nation saying, I can see, I can see, and yet they're not crying out for the Saviour to touch them, to forgive them, to cleanse them, and to wash them but they're walking around saying, I can see. Jesus has a word for those men. And when, where are you this morning? I ask myself, where are you? Are you someone who claim you can see and yet there's no cry in your heart? That Jesus have mercy on you. I pray that God will give us an understanding that we need to know who Christ really is. And call to him. Okay, so let's just go to my third point. There was a desire for sight. This man cries out. He knew who Jesus was. And the third thing here, a receiving of sight. This man, we know his name. John tells, uh, Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. And as he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Messiah, Christ, Savior, have mercy on me. We are told that people spoke to him and we we hear them. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you believe it? The Bible says those who led the way rebuked him. They saw a man in need. And they told him to shut up. They saw a man in need and they see a saviour able to meet his need and they told him to be quiet. We read that it was those who led the way rebuked him. Those who were leading rebuked him. You know, religion... It's nasty business, you know that. Religion is nasty business. I can talk to you about the Catholic religion. I can talk to you about the different denominations in Christianity that we see often on these TV programs where all they're concerned about is how much money they can make out of Christianity. How much money they can make out of you as you give and as you send your finances to them. And they, they 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 they're concerned about their money, and yet they're not concerned about the poor and those who are in need. Religion was leading the way, and this poor man was left to one side. I want to tell you something this morning. The gospel needs to be preached but the gospel needs to be preached not only to the people in our affluent society, but the poor need to be remembered as the gospel is preached. And when I say poor, I'm not talking about those living in Debden with a flat screen TV and two broken out cars outside. I'm not talking about the poor like that. 75% of our world is living in poverty. Maybe more. And the church is so busy on the TV screen making Christians send in their money. So busy like some of the Catholic churches looking after those glorious big buildings where there's beggars outside of their building. We need to come back to the gospel that preaches Christ and remembers the poor. And Jesus, and God says in Isaiah 58, if you do that if you begin to remember the poor and remember those who are in dire need, not only in this country you can find them, but those who are in other lands who are in complete poverty, if you remember the poor, God has a promise for us. He says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. I don't know about you, but I want God to fulfill that promise in my day. Jesus hears the cry of a beggar. Jesus hears the cry of a poor man. Jesus hears the cry of someone that was pushed to one side by the religious establishment. He hears the cry and he says, Stop! Bring him to me. And so Mark's Gospel, I love how Mark's Gospel puts it. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So the call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. You know, blind Bartimaeus was wearing a coat. Get my little prop here. Here's my little, um, little coat here. Blind Bartimaeus had his coat on. You know, this coat. He probably lived in this coat for many, many months, many years, maybe. And this coat represents his life, all of his thinking. All of his doing was wrapped up in this coat. All of his poverty reminds him of his blindness. Everything was wrapped up in this coat. All of his sin that he'd done, his he thoughts, bitterness and anger and, and resentment and, and everything that was in his life was wrapped up in this coat that he kept around him. But the Bible says, When you heard that Jesus says, Come, we read that he threw it off. And he leaves behind his old life. He cast away that which represented his blindness, that which represented his sin, that which represented his old life. Everything that represented him, he throws it off, the Bible says. And it goes over to Jesus. (laughs) Listen, when Jesus calls you, your old life has to go. I want to say that again. When Jesus calls you, you have to cast away all the old sin, all the old way of doing things, your old thinking, your old evil practices, the things that you thought was good before you became a Christian, you realise they're no good anymore. All of these things that represent your old life has to be cast away when you come to Jesus Christ. And you know, Blind Bartimaeus didn't say, oh, but I love that old coat. Can I just take some of it with me? Can I just have a little bit every now and again so I can have a little comfort blanket and put my thumb in my my mouth and, and, and hold my blanket for a little while? No, he got rid of it completely because he was going to something far greater. Far better. Far superior. Christ was calling him. Left it behind. Now in my closing statements, I want to wrap up with these couple of verses right here because it says, what do you want me to do for you, Lord? Uh, God, Jesus asked him, Lord, I want to see. He replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. That's a wonderful miracle. It points to who Jesus Christ is. Opening the eyes of a man blind points to who Jesus is. He's not just a miracle worker. He is God walking in the flesh. And that miracle in itself points to who he is. He is God. But not only that, listen to this. This blind man, once he received his sight, the Bible says, Immediately he received his sight and he followed the procession, he followed Jesus. You know, some people come to church and they get their miracle, they get their help. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm in great need. Please help me. Please help me. Please help me. Bang! The Lord helps them and saves them and sorts their problems out. The finances are met. They got healing. They get strength. They get the job they want. They get the house they're looking for. Praise God. Where are they? They're somewhere else going another direction because they're not following Christ anymore. They got what they want, but they don't want to follow Christ. Not this man. Oh, no. The Bible says this man, once he received his sight, I'm telling you now, he was touched by God well before his eyes were opened. But once he received his sight, there was only one way for him now. He going to follow Christ. And today, we live in a generation, we live in a time where we're so materialistic that if we don't get what we want from God... We want to abandon God. If God takes something away from us, we feel we have a right to walk away from him. I want to tell you this morning, God is not looking now for big numbers in churches. He's not looking for these mega churches. No, that doesn't impress him. If he wants a mega church, he can have a mega church anytime he wants. In fact, when Jesus was walking on the earth and the Bible says that he had a mega crowd following him, he tells them, listen, if you want to follow me, you prepare to die. He's not interested in numbers. But what he's interested in is one beggar, one man in the roadside that everyone else was telling him to be quiet, one man. On the roadside who nobody really wanted to speak to. One man who nobody really took any notice of. One man who cried out, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Have mercy on me. One man. That's what he was looking for. He stopped everything. That one person might come into right relationship with God. Praise God. Are you that one woman this morning? Are you going to be that one man this morning? That though everyone else is moving wrong in their lives, trying to get this and trying to get that, trying to better themselves, trying to write their own story about how wonderful their life's going to be, will you be that one woman, that one man who turns around and says, I just want Christ? Because with him, I have all other things provided for. Sadly, I've seen too many. Christians pick up their cloak. Thank you for the service, Pastor. It was a great service today. We sang some nice songs. Thanks, James. I've got my old life now. See you next Sunday. And they're off again. Carrying their old life. Next Sunday, the clock will be off. Praise God. Hallelujah but I've got my clock very close to me and I'm going to take it up before I go. Friends, it's not about numbers, but he wants your heart. He wants you to love him as he loves you. Impossible. That's what he wants. For you to begin to stir up something that says, I don't want God on a Sunday morning, but I want God through the week as well. I've been preaching last week and i will be saying, "You know, where are you on Wednesday night? Isn't God good enough for you on a Wednesday night? Do you feel that maybe you can get by without him when you want him and call on him? Surely every time those doors are open, surely you will say, I have to be in the house of God. Why? Because he has done so much for me. And this cloak, it seems to have a life of his own, and every time he seemed to jump back on my back. But I want it gone. I want my own life finished with, and I want to be able to live a life every day when I'm seeking and knowing and loving him. Friends, my voice is going to be silent. One day you will come to church, and Jerry Sandy will not be standing here preaching. Jerry Sandy will be in the ground. My spirit will be with glory. But my voice will be silenced one day. But my desire is to preach as a dying man to dying men and women. That you will come to a place where you will say, I need Christ. Old life gone, but Christ, Christ, I need to be him. I need to be with him. May that be you. May that be me. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father in heaven, your disciples, those men who walked with you for three years were still blind. They still didn't get it that you were going to Jerusalem to die for their sin. And Father, I believe that these men are like us today, Lord. We can hear And we can see from history that what has taken place and yet we still don't get it. Blindness still seems to reign in our hearts and in our minds. But Lord, I pray that you will put upon us the spirit of Bartimaeus this morning. The same touch that you gave Bartimaeus that caused him to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. May that same spirit be upon us, O God. That we might cry out from the very depth of our hearts, Lord, cause me to see. Cause me to see the things that my family don't see. Cause me to see the things that my friends don't see. Cause me to see the things, O God, that my teachers and my, 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 my peers don't see, Lord caused me to see what you will have me see see my need to see my sin to see my wickedness to see my rebellion and to see your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and to see that you call me just as I am, to yourself. Spirit of the living God, work in this place today and bring glory, bring glory to Jesus. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen.